1: to This is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And it's with thanks to Tobin Brothers that we celebrate the life of another great Australian sportsperson on This Is Your Sporting Life. And, uh, well, there is a phrase used in sport uh, when you describe someone who is rugged and tough at their sport. We call them an Ironman. Well, this man certainly was because he was the world champion Ironman four times and he was one of the great faces in Australian sport for so long. Delighted to have Trevor Hendy as my guest on the program this morning. Trevor, welcome to you.
0: Oh, thanks, Peter mate, that was a a beautiful intro, thank you
1: Well, you were, and we'll touch on the fact that you were one of the most recognisable faces in Australian sport for a long time. We catch you on the Gold Coast. How's the buzz up there as we get closer to the Commonwealth Games? We're only a few months away now.
0: Mate, it's fantastic Um, You know, we've got a real focus up here on it being a a very humanitarian base games and you know the Tobin Brothers celebrating life thing is so spot on because it's all about celebrating life and the diversity of different countries and cultures and the coast is really set and ready to go we've got some great people volunteering up here you know we you know we have a wonderful climate up here and uh, so when we get to springtime, everyone starts thinking about going outside and, you know, uh, getting involved in summer. And that whole idea that our summer finishes with the Commonwealth Games is just really getting people going. So I was in- involved uh, for a while on the Commonwealth Games Legacy Advisory Committee, which just basically meant what legacy can we leave behind after the Games, Infr- infrastructure, you know, the facilities, um, but also the, the the cultural community connection that we create out of the Games. And it's amazing. Amazing some of the things that they've put into place. And I think the gold coast and hopefully filtering out to, to queensland and australia will get a lot of uh, a lot of mileage out of what this this commonwealth games will will bring out in people
1: and you know what it's like with big sporting events the build up is one thing but when the event actually hits it goes to another level and and that happened in melbourne with the commonwealth games that there were a few people a little bit reluctant as to how it was going to go but once it got underway the whole city and indeed the whole country was swept up in it
0: so true and and what does it get you thinking you know because you were so busy in life and i oh, okay be bothered following this or watching that or we, we, we follow our football or whatever we do we've got our patterns in life and then Oh yeah, Commonwealth Games. It's this, it's that, whatever. And then it comes into town. And all of a sudden, you you see all this humanity, and you get this experience, and you see the racing, and you see the the great stories from different countries and different people. That you wonder how they even got to the start line, and you know. So I think not only does it catch a buzz when you get when it comes along, but it gets you thinking. It it disrupts your patterning. It actually gets you thinking. Hang on a second. Am I living my best life? Am I going out there and chasing my dreams? Am I, you know, turning myself inside out to be a little bit better? So I think it can be a great change agent as well, you know. So not only wake people up, have a great time, enjoy it, wow, something to remember. But what does it get you thinking for the rest of your life? Can we all be a little bit better? Can we act more as a community? So all these volunteers come together, th- tens of thousands of them volunteer to make the Com Games go, you know, run successfully and smoothly. And wow, they must be thinking at the end of it, goodness, I, I should be part of the community more often. Like that was great fun. I got to meet all these people, but normal life, we don't do that.
1: All of that thinking, Trev, you were talking about, about uh, making the best of your life and enjoying each moment, I'm sure that was sheeted home to you just in the last few weeks or so with the tragedy that surrounded Dean Mercer.
0: Oh, mate, um, devastated. You know, soon as soon as you bring it up and mention it, I, I feel that the tears welling up um, really, really bro- broke my heart. Um, and I, through whatever conspiring of, of life, I was actually overseas for the funeral and uh, and the, the whole part of that week and a half, basically. <clears throat> but um, it just really, really, a couple of things happened. It really rocked me in the sense of this is someone that I loved and connected with and, and him and his older brother are such a major part of my life. They were part of my youth. It was Darren and I were the two young guys chasing Grant Kenny and Guy Leach and and here's Darren and Trev and right on our heels was this little whippersnapper Dean that just wouldn't go away, you know. Mm. He was just so courageous and such a fighter and he had terrible technique and everything else and it just didn't matter. He was just such a demonstration of what you can do when you just never give up and he wasn't gifted with so many things but he was gifted with a huge heart. He was gifted with a huge tenacity and uh, he beat me twice in the run up the beach for the Australian Ironman title. And I prided myself on never being beaten in the sprint up the beach. And that was my target in the back of my mind. And he beat me twice. And the first time I was just so devastated. And there's a photo, black and white shot. It was half dark, burly heads during a cyclone with his hand on my back as I bent over his hand on my back. just And he was just kind of saying... It's okay, mate. You know, and he's just won the thing, but he's consoling me, sort of thing. Yeah. And it was like a David and Goliath thing, but in that story, I was the Goliath. I always grew up thinking I was the David, you know. And uh, but I was the Goliath, and he did it again a few years later. So the two times he won the title, he he bit, you know beat me in a run up the beach and. And at the time, both times, I thought, oh, wow, I've got, he got away with two, you know. And then a few years later, obviously, I went through a few shifts on my own, and I began to see the role these guys played in my life and how much I loved them as friends and how much I just cherished them being around. And I spent more time with all of them, and we all have a hug when we see each other. And, and I saw, you know, see Dean and Darren a lot. And... And I think about three years ago, there was a little video about the great moments in our sport and everything. And Dean was talking about, you know, what those victories meant to him. And it really hit home. And I thought at that time, thank God he won them, you know, because it was so much more important for him to win it than it was for me. And it taught me a lot of great things as well. But um, when I heard um, only an hour and a half after it happened, um, that's the first thought I had. I just thought, thank God Dean won those two titles because I really. Couldn't give a crap, you know, about winning that stuff. I just so glad that his boys grow up and they, they know their dad. You know, conquered the best at the time and was was a giant in himself. So I still feel it while I talk about it, Pete. I feel Mm. what it's done for me is said. You know what? There's so much more to life to this, and don't not pass anybody by and any moment by. Do not um, take the moments for granted and do not take each other for granted because, you know, you don't know what you're missing till it's gone.
1: Beautiful words, Trevor, beautifully spoken. Uh, you talked about the empathy that you have because there are only several people in this country and a handful around the world who can do something as well as you two did it. So you're able to identify what he went through and he likewise mm, with you yeah. and and that's what causes that brotherhood in various forms of sport
0: it's it, the deepest thing i reckon you can have just just slightly above love is probably understanding yeah when you really really understand somebody and you and you've been through something that allows you not to understand it intellectually but know it on the inside i think that's something that transcends what we call normal life you know day to day business and everything else is when you have an understanding like that Um, it crosses all those boundaries and something special happens. You know, things like the thing that happened for me recently with Dean and stuff that happens, it hits home that, hang on a second, that's not the biggest picture. There's a much bigger picture in life than that, and it is about our our connection, our community, our moments and what we share.
1: Well, probably a young man that you had a bit to do with uh, in your time at Collingwood, Alex Fasolo coming out with his battles um, this year. It's interesting, while we're recording this, Trev, uh, a man walked past our studio window a moment ago, Wayne Schwoss, who Ah. was one of the first AFL footballers to come out and talk about depressive illness. Right. Tom Boyd, the man who kicked the goal in the grand final last year and was a hero, has had his battles. We see them, you're right, we see them as these giants, this colossus of sport, but they're just flesh and blood like the rest of us and they have weaknesses and foibles and struggles like the rest of us.
0: Something that we'll probably bring up during this interview a little bit later, but I'll touch on it now, is... Is uh, this life changer uh, foundation that I'm a part of and, and, and help get get up and going for youth to, to change that programming to change that idea of what is winning, what is success? And the crazy thing is is that we and I've felt this for a long time, but one of the people we're chatting to about that is Wayne Swoss oh, really? <laughs> about being an ambassador, given the courage that he you know he went through and everything else to to talk about his life and everything else. So um, it's quite funny the synchronicities and the serendipity that are happening as he walks past the window. Yeah, but, how about that? And I'm, I'm in a different state, but connected to him, you know. So, um, but it, it's interesting that you say that because I think what happens when we're young, mate, and this is, I, I've done. I'm, you know, thousands of hours now of one-on-one counselling and, and work with people. That's what I've done since I retired in '98. I've, I've become a facilitator and a counsellor, and I've travelled the world and the country, and I work with some amazing people. And the crazy thing is, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a business owner, whether you're you know worth a billion dollars, whether you're a guy trying to kick a drug habit, whether you're you know a, a young kid, a mum, or whatever it is, a sports star. Um, When you really break through those surface things and you get down into the, the underlying issues that we all go through, they're all so damn similar, it's not funny they're all very, very, very much the same. Our projection and what we look like to the world might look different, but down below it we're actually going through very, very similar struggles and battles and, and everything else. And one of the things when you track right back to childhood is we grow up and we have a sense of an overbearing or overimposing society. Whether it's our parents, whether you know in the churches a lot in the old days, it's our school teachers, our principals, the police There's this overbearing society. So, your child that doesn't, supposedly, doesn't know much. And you've got to turn yourself into some sort of a um, a version of yourself that actually one day you might deserve to earn that much money, get a wife or a husband like that, get a house, a picket fence. you know. So you're trying to check out the rules of the world, but it's a very imposing world. It's bigger than you. You're small. It's big. They're all like gods, all this sort of stuff. So out of that very simple analogy, what happens is we grow up trying to make ourselves bigger all the time, bigger, bigger, bigger. So when somebody actually becomes big, a star, so to speak, in those terms, we then look at them. Now, they're up there struggling because they still haven't solved the initial issue of actually feeling small. You know, I might be big, but I still don't feel good. I still feel like it's a hard life. It's a hard world. You know, there's challenges, there's things I'm supposed to feel really good because I've made it but I actually feel even worse now knowing that I've made it and it didn't even solve my problems. So there's this real depressive element. And, and I, I love Faz, by the way. He's another great example of somebody who's come forward. You know? yeah. But there's so many people at different levels of that that are dealing with it in different ways. But the crazy thing is when we're feeling small in society, we then see somebody else looking famous, looking big, looking like a superstar. So we project that onto them. We We love seeing that bigness in them because we want to feel it in ourselves. So they do inspire us to be bigger but it perpetuates that whole thing that that we're not big you know that we're small and that we can't handle our issues and potentially what i'm saying if i'd sum it up is most of us are handling the issues in the wrong way we're trying to get more money more qualifications <clears throat> a better you know a better looking girl or guy um, more followers on instagram you know uh, more investment portfolio better titles behind us more social status we're trying to get more of everything that's outside of ourselves instead of actually working on the things and the certainty and the belief inside of ourselves that we've all got a special existence that that we can bring out so we've got I'm pretty deep in this interview pretty quick Pete but, but it's it's amazing I think that you know for me that's been I've discovered that in myself and I've helped hundreds and hundreds of people discover the same thing a lot of them thought leaders and community leaders and people that lead big organisations and so that's nice that it filters down to all those but that has become my passion because of the difficulties I have myself is to say you know what you are good enough people are deep down we don't feel good enough you know I feel great in this area but I'm not very good in that area and we grow up Feeling those things, and, and we often make ourselves feel good enough or prop ourselves up by making someone else feel worse. We beat them or we outbid them or we do something, you know. So it's a bit of a perpetuating thing that, unless we solve it at the level of um, collaboration rather than competition, you know, um, it'll just perpetuate and keep going. And then these, these heroes of ours, they collapse and they fall over because they just feel something's missing and they're right. Something is missing. It's not the solution to everything. Winning a premiership is not the solution to everything. Winning an Olympic gold medal, how many gold medalists are, are down and out you know, afterwards because it actually doesn't solve life's problems. It's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful pursuit. It's an incredible thing, and we should all you know, um, be inspired by it, but it's not the biggest picture. The biggest picture is perhaps having a sense of who you really are and what, who you are and what you can do with your life.
1: One of the things I've loved about this program is not only do we get to talk to great stars of sport about their achievements, but to have 15 minutes like we've just had to get your thoughts on things outside of the the, the glitter and the grease paint, if you like, and the top mm. step of the dais, it's fascinating to hear it. If people want to know more, lifechanger.org, is that the website to go to? Yeah,
0: lifechanger.org.au. Uh-huh. And, uh, yep, absolutely, um and yeah there's a whole lot of stuff coming up with that but we're basically going to go out into schools and we're going to do a a digital hub for kids Um, we're doing scholarships we're doing a whole stack of things that are really going to make a difference We're we're piloting a few things at the moment and uh, we're launching publicly probably around about april but we're building a bit of momentum right now and we're going to the community You know, to a lot of our big players in the community in saying it takes a village to raise a child so we're not going to throw money at this problem and we're not going to throw education at this problem. Those things we can do. We want to throw understanding at it. We want to get in with them and actually support them and, and, and guide the next generation through to be a little bit more conscious and evolve when they get into adulthood so that they don't they're not running up the same garden path trying to find their fulfilment. So, yeah, there's a lot more to come on all that, Pete. But, um, but yeah, lifechanger.org.au.
1: What a brilliant opening segment we've just had. I hope you enjoyed that. And visit that website um, if you feel anything in the words that Trevor Hendy has just spoken. Trevor, take a break and then we'll come back and we will talk about that glittering career and all of your great achievements. Trevor Hendy is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Yeah! You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And the six-time Australian and four-time world Ironman champion, Trevor Hendy, is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Trev, turn back the clock. Where did it all begin? (laughs) Because I find it hard to believe that with your chiselled physique and and your association with sun and surf that you were actually born down here in Melbourne.
0: (laughs) Yes, mate, Victorian, Victorian boy. And uh, the time that I've spent down there, which is a lot recently, actually, last few years, um, I've really loved it. It's helped me reconnect with it. But yeah, mum and dad, uh, Melbourne um, based, and and dad, when I was three years old, decided that, you know, he had a carpenter apprenticeship, and and uh, he was also a mechanic as well, and he had the top job. He had that wife, the house, the picket fence, a couple of pets, a couple of beautiful kids, well, you know, me and my sister, <laughs> and um, and. Uh, you know he basically came home one day and he said two things one was he's noticed that everybody he knows saves up all their money to go overseas this is 1971 right and uh he said, so why, why wouldn't you, you know, visit your own country and see your own country before you go around the rest of the world? We've got this incredible country. And the other thing was he had a, a little bit of a sense that perhaps we weren't meant to grow up in Victoria. Perhaps there was somewhere else we were meant to be. And, and he was oh, just I'm so thankful for the, that courage that he had to break out of that, that um, status quo, even though he had everything. His, his friends and family thought he was mad. They sold the house that he'd built himself. Um sold the house, put some stuff in storage, got a blue dodge um truck single cabin, <laughs> and uh towed a caravan and we went around for i you know a bit over two years. we went around australia so um, I learnt from a very very young age to find my way back in the bush and to never give up and I, I learnt to swim in the Daly River I actually learnt how to swim in the Daly River in Northern Territory mm. and uh, we used to swim from the sand dune all the way back to camp when we'd been finished running up and down the sand dune and couple of years. I think it was a year after we left there in 71, they found like a 15-foot croc sitting up on that bank. Ooh. So I think that might have been deep, a deeper reason why I swam fast. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. At a, at a young age, I wasn't going to be the last one in on the line. But we traveled around Australia for a couple of years, all the way around, had an incredible time. And uh, I still remember quite a bit of it, funnily enough, between three and five. My sister was five years older. We nearly settled in Port Hedland. My dad said, a lot of work opportunities here, Bev. Yeah, we should stay here. And Now, did a
1: storm the... actually
0: ruin that? It did. That's exactly right, mate. It was two weeks. I think it was a two-week storm that it rained and rained and rained, probably that cyclone time of the year, flooded the whole place. And by as the... soon as the rain settled and we could actually get out of there, he couldn't get out of there fast enough. So the place became a muddy quagmire. They couldn't work or anything. And so he went, well, the second choice, I think, was the Gold Coast. And, uh, and we went back to Melbourne, packed up all the stuff and straight to the Gold Coast. And So by grade one, I was in, in Gold Coast and um, Surface Paradise Primary School. And eight years of age, I had one of my buddies ask me to go to Nippers, which I didn't want to go. And, and Dad overheard the conversation before I could even open my mouth to say I don't want to go. He said he'd love to. So I did Nippers, cried on my first day, just didn't want to compete against anybody, hated that thought. I'd spent <laughs> this whole time growing up next to my mum's leg. You know.
1: Isn't that and ironic the, for the yeah. competitors that you turned out to be later in life, oh, that you didn't want to compete against people.
0: It's mate, scared of the waves, scared of all that sort of stuff. I didn't want to compete, and it's funny how things flip, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but for me, my dad found found his way to get us to the ocean, and then it found its way to get to me, and I ended up in Surface Paradise Surf Club at eight years of age. Went through that whole journey. And to be honest, just still madly in love with the ocean. I'm, a president, I'm the president of the surf club now, you know, and uh, just to give back and spend a few years doing that and to give back to the kids and go visit schools with our little crop of stars, the Ellie Days and Max Beatties, et cetera, of the world. And my son's now in the sport. He made the Kellogg's nutri Series last year, which is basically the top 20 in the world. And so, you know, it's funny how it just does full circle, but it's it's more about the lifestyle and the connection than anything else.
1: I think you're following in the footsteps of your dad, aren't you, taking up that president's position?
0: Oh, well done, mate. You've done your research. Uh, absolutely. I don't know with the first or the second father, son, Um, maybe the first to ever do that in the surf club. And it just happened really naturally. I was doing some cultural work with the club as the director of surf sports. Once again, voluntary giving back and did a whole cultural work, which is what I do with organizations right around the country. I go into organizations and help them sort out their direction and their purpose and, and help the individuals, the leaders, sort out different things. And I was doing that for my own club. And then I realized that, wow, now that we've got this incredible body of work that we've created... I probably need to step up in the, the leadership, the senior leadership position to make sure it all comes through. You know what? The funny thing is I did it to, for that reason. Then I went, oh, duh, I'm actually supposed to give back.
1: You talked about getting accolades and you talked about wanting to be someone. And we'll get to your individual achievements in your chosen sport shortly. But one thing that struck me about uh, your career, and you talked about the fame that went along with it and the notoriety that went along with it. And I love one mm. of your quotes. She said, suddenly everyone was laughing at my jokes and girls... All started showing interest but I hadn't got any funnier or better looking <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> was that a gradual thing or did all of a sudden did that just come as a, a bit of a dawn to you one day that yeah this is what goes along with the fame of what I'm doing but I'm not necessarily all that comfortable with it? it
0: happened overnight but it dawned on me gradually it's a funny thing. I think it's two parts. I think when you when you are successful um, at something, you've trained your heart out. No one even knows you're doing it. You know, I, I actually was in, Pete, I was actually in an all-girls class at school because I wanted to be an accountant, right? And um, I bet the
1: girls remember that now. Oh,
0: they do. I still <laughs> run into them every now and then. But the <laughs> funny thing is, is that I, um, my sister said, oh, if you're going to be an accountant, you're going to go to university. You should learn how to type and do shorthand. I went, yeah, yeah, great idea. So I enrolled for typing and shorthand so I could actually get through university better. And that when I rocked up to my first form class in year nine and 10, so what am I, 14, 15 at that mm. age, I only got through puberty yet and believe me I was a late bloomer um, <laughs> I was actually in an all girls class so I did every class with all girls the <laughs> only guy for that two years of my life which I kind of quite loved but it was quite bizarre how years later they didn't notice me or recognise me I'd turn up I was swimming my heart out through all that period of time and, and uh, so it's a really interesting thing but mate it did happen overnight and I was like what? and then it's a bit of a runaway train <laughs> you know because if you've craved that attention or that 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 um, You know, adulation or whatever. I was a freckly, skinny little kid that grew up, you know, close to my family, was scared to go to any parties in case a girl wanted to kiss me because I heard someone else kissed a girl. You know, (laughs) I was just freaking out, mate. I was just a little kid that was so scared. And then, as I said before, earlier on in this segment, that we grow up feeling small. You know, deep down, we feel small. We don't feel capable, and then we find a way to make ourselves feel big, and we, that runs away with us. You know, and uh, but it was crazy. Yeah, it was it was an incredible ride, and you know, we went on to play in rock bands. We played uh, Grant, Kenny, Guy, Le- Guy Andrews, Craig Riddington, Dwayne Tires, and myself, and a few crew with our f- friends from our band, The Images. We played on stage with the Beach Boys. You know, um, so we actually we, we were there. Um, what do you call it their uh, pre-gig or whatever it is yeah the warm up the, su- the support artists yeah, yeah I saw
1: the Beach Boys when they came to Melbourne a long long time ago Trevor and I'll give you the tip I reckon you would have been better than them uh, I, I think we might enough... have been
0: at that concert was, uh, was it at Olympic Park
1: uh, no I, I <laughs> saw them at the My Music Bowl I actually uh, I did a job in the city once and they said we can't pay you but we'll give you tickets to the Beach Boys con- uh, concert and I thought oh you beauty uh, I think they must have been having an off night because it seemed as though they were quite over refreshed when they got on the stage
0: <laughs> Yes. Well, well, they were travelling and touring. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But crazy experiences and, you know, met met people like Madonna and Michael Jackson and we did a we, we went on Baywatch and did a whole show on Baywatch oh, yeah. and played myself on that. And so they're incredible experience. Um, but great to have all that and know that, you know what, that still doesn't define you. There's there's far more Um, depth to who we all are than all that stuff
1: i think we're learning that in this uh, program and it's been fascinating we're well and truly past the halfway stage and we haven't even talked individually about some of your great achievements so i'm going to do that on the other side of the break with trevor hendy my very special guest on this is your sporting life for tobin brothers Funeral, serving families across victoria for more than 80 years more with trev after the break You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donaghen And Trevor Hendy is my very special guest on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. Trevor, we've talked about all sorts of other achievements that you've had in your life and uh, you've spoken so beautifully about them. But let's talk about all of those achievements that you had in the water. Six-time Australian Open champion, four-time World Ironman champion. You've got four kids. Probably they... Are not necessarily old enough to know the time when the Ironman competition was one of the biggest things in Australia. It was huge at its peak.
0: Yeah. Wow. My daughter, oldest daughter, Christelle, is 29. So when, um, when I won my first World Ironman title in 1988, I ran across the line and then Jackie put her in my arms uh, and I held her there. And you know, so she actually, her and I grew up together. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you know, so she, she's the one of the four kids that actually, you know, knew what it was like and experienced the whole thing and sometimes gets a bit of frustration that nobody else knows, you know, and the, the other kids in the family. But um, it was, it was, you know, you pay, the amazing thing was, was when we had that Uncle Toby series, it was about 10 years, 10 big years of that series, there was probably five or six that it was huge. And um, we only had our, we had uh, Channel 9, Channel 10, uh, Channel 7, uh, ABC and SBS. You had no internet, you had no Instagram, Facebook, you know, you had no pay TV, you know, you had nothing, no Netflix, you know, no no, nothing else, so no anything else. So basically on a Sunday afternoon, the amount of people that still come up to me and say, I grew up on a Sunday afternoon. Our ritual was sitting down. Everyone would come in and make sure we got at home in time to sit down and watch the Men as the family watched the TV and that was the entertainment where... so. You know, we're never going to get ratings like that again. Like, there's a couple of the bigger sports, like AFL, etc., that that hold that that command that audience for a long time and keep breaking records. But there's billions of dollars worth of investment going into that as well. But um but it's amazing people now get their entertainment on their phone right here and right now in their break and everything else. So they're, they're actually looking for ways to get away from all that stuff half the time. But uh, it was a massive era. It was so incredibly fun. And we were a band of brothers. You know, I, I work very closely with Surf Lifesaving right now and they're beautiful people and incredible and, and uh, got a great leadership crew and they're trying to do amazing things around the country. At that period of time, we'd a we'd gone to Surf Lifesaving to talk about, well, the Kellogg series, we could actually take it to live TV and we can increase the prize money and and uh, that was a very much a threat to the thinking of the time so we were like upstarts that were had taken the lead and we all got banned from the Australian team and then we you know from even just having a meeting about it. So it was crazy how it was a bit like the World Series cricket that Uncle Toby's turned up and says, we'll sponsor it. And Channel 10 says, hey, we want to grow as a station. And then everybody, you know, a PR agent and the management company, everybody was like these young people trying to prove themselves. And we all kind of came together. And what we created um, was this really cool series. It was colorful. It was so many incredible uh, athletes and different uh, personalities and ways of approaching it and different race venues using courses and things like that but to top it off Surf Lifesaving had decided they would ban us and they decided that they would stop us and they were going to back the Kellogg series and Darren and Dean stayed in that they were actually with us and they got a, a big contract to stay there and, and good on them um so it became front page and back page news so it was the greatest thing you ever could have done for PR because we became the second World Series cricket you know and uh, I think the third third example of it was superleg a few years later but but it really actually people identified more with us because we were like the the underdogs that were getting beaten up by the the you know the old stale you know uh, leadership or whatever it is now they had their own reasons and and they were teaching us stuff and we were teaching them and we certainly didn't s- solve it solve it or heal it at that stage, but it was incredible what it did for the sport. The ratings were outrating the cricket sometimes. We were regularly outrating the tennis and the golf, and we wanted to become one of the big four summer sports with tennis, golf, and cricket. And the cricket was the only one that would get us and here and there, depending on where, you know what day of the test it was and all that sort of stuff, it was an amazing experience.
1: And you talked about Baywatch before, Trev. This was yep. Baywatch in reality in lots of ways, because it had all of the elements. It had the sun and the surf, and it had fit, athletic... Uh, good-looking people. It just had every element that would draw you into watching it at that time on a Sunday.
0: Oh... It, yeah, it, the package, hey, it's almost you can't even explain all the elements that came together. You know, the very first race of the Uncle Toby series was the the, the Gold Coast Gold. We weren't allowed to call it the getter Gold, but it was our resurrection of the original great getter Gold mm. from one length to the other, you know, and back again. And Guy Leach, who'd won it twice as the Coolie Gold, he's leading and he's in Currumbin Creek and he arrives there and his handler's forgotten his goggles. And he stands there and he's punching the board and he's got a five-minute lead over Craig Reddington and I'm, I think I was third. You know, he's two thirds of the way into this race and he's punching the board and he's got his hands on his hips and he's shaking his head like this is disgusting. And it was like from that moment on, people knew that our sport was going to be really interesting yeah. because these personalities. He, he had another great one in Perth one time where he led, I think he won the first race and the second race, he, he was right up there in the series with me. And he actually, his rudder went crook and he ended up back on the beach with a broken rudder. So he's punching the ski and kicking. He was obviously like we all do, he's like letting, not looking at the cameras but letting the cameras know that I'm really annoyed and I would have won this race if I hadn't have had my rudder broken but you know Guy Andrews used to just chase us all like he's a tenacious young guy. Dwayne Tyres was just hilarious. He would rock up to the start of a race you know, there's major money on the line and live coverage and everything. And right before the races start, Dwayne would run up into the front of the line and turn around and he'd be, he would be—he hadn't even got his board organized yet or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> and he'd rattle everybody else because they couldn't believe how disorganized and then he'd proceed to lead the race. You know, Craig Riddington, who could just never win one, you know, and he never win one and eventually did. But he he actually oh, always the bridesmaid. He'd lead us by so far and then we'd track him down and get a bit lucky and. You know, just so many different elements. Obviously, Grant Kenny, who was the father of our sport, and and uh, just him being there and being around and capturing people's imagination when he won the junior, senior and everything in 1980. So it was a really crazy period, and it was uh, the, the venues we went to and the crowds that turned up. You know, we arrived at Portsea Beach in the first year, and we went down the day before. Surf was huge. Had a great time, you know, training out there and trying to get out the back, and there was only five of us went out that day. And it was huge, like massive waves, 15, 20 foot faces, uh, you know, 10 foot swells. And um, the next day we rock up and we, we're driving in and there's this all these people walking over the road and this massive traffic jam. We're thinking, what's on here? You know, what's stopping us from getting When we had to be our way through all these. Be- and when we got to the end of the road where it turns left to go to the beach, Everybody was turning left to go to the beach and we pulled up and we got out of the bus and stood on the top of Portsea Hill and there was thirty thousand people on the beach and all lining the cliffs and everything everywhere because they'd never seen anything like that and never been so well publicized and and these guys were were all rapidly becoming household names and that was the first year. So talk about feeling Special and a buzz and alive and excited. It's it's a way to make you feel part of a community. Like oh wow, we you know as I said earlier, I grew up wanting to to contribute in some way and inspire and be a somebody. For whatever reason, I, I did that. And all of a sudden, you know, look what's manifested. I'm standing here in front of 30,000 people and I'm winning the race, you know. So it was a crazy experience. And underneath all that, I was just a kid that grew up in... It you know, was born in Melbourne and travelled around Australia and was a pretty humble kid. So it was a bit of a runaway train too.
1: You've spoken so eloquently about the fact that uh, winning wasn't everything as you look back, but there must have been moments amongst those Australian titles and the World Championships and four times winning the Uncle Toby Super Series. What's the moment when you look back at... Your career, and you, you're most proud of a particular victory or a particular moment. Oh,
0: there's there's two that really stand out for me. My lifelong goal was to win. It was to perfect the Ironman race. So that was my goal. I started my process. My goal was to to win more than anyone else and win the Aussie title and all make you know more times as Australian captain and all that sort of stuff. I had these goals that were pretty lofty for someone who'd never won anything, um, and I rapidly got there very fast to that level but um, but the process goal was to perfect the Ironman race that was the only thing that really inspired me was to actually do it better than anybody had done it before like to progress it and I crossed the line and I went oh my god I just perfected the race I had the realisation that I'd just raced the perfect race and the, my next thought was wow, what's next? I'm done. Mm. i finished it. That was my goal was perfected. I've done it. And then I just looked at this blank wall in front of me and there was nobody there. And it was very stark and and very revealing about what was going to face me after that because I actually, I perfected the race, but then I had a bit of a wall I had to get over around deconstructing my ego, which we spoke a bit about today. But... Working out what's really important in life and who I really was, and you know what what life was really about, and what was the best representation of my upbringing, and how could I make my mum and dad proud—not just by winning, but the person I was—and so it had a bit of things to face. So that was my probably my proudest moment in Ironman perspective. But the one that blows it all out was uh, two and a half years ago. Um, my son came to me and said, "Let's do the board rescue together." He was twenty. It's Australian Championships on the Gold Coast. I did the Pete Evans Paleo Way course for eight weeks, mm-hmm. lost eight kilos in eight weeks and, uh, and trained. I was off the back of a big long trip to the US. All I'd been doing was snow skiing and, and traveling around with the family, so I'd eaten lots of pancakes and stuff. And uh, I lost eight kilos in eight weeks and my goal, my only goal was to pick my son up in the board rescue as fast as I possibly could. That was my goal, just to pick him up as fast as I could. And it goes all the way back to when he was born. Um, Jackie and I were already separating. We'd been, I'd been through that much dysfunction in my life that was already broken at that stage. So I remember when I first held him in my arms when I was just, you know, when he was born, the big brown eyes staring back at me, I kind of felt like I wasn't the man I needed to be to be the father I wanted to be for him. I'd finally got the son, you know. I had this beautiful daughter and now I've got the, the next part of the package, the son. And I, I made a decision that moment that he was born that I was going to sort my life out and I was going to become the man I really wanted to be. So 20 years later, my same thing, my my same mission was just to race the Australian Open Championship board rescue title with my son against the Olympic level swimmers, against the best Ironman and board paddlers in the world. And my only goal was to pick him up as fast as I could. And I actually... Um, we, we actually we got 4th 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 which is the last qualifying spot we just kept getting 4th and we just kept scraping through and then actually we made it into the semi final and got 4th and in the semi final we got we won and everybody, they interviewed us and they went, oh my God, Trevor and his son have just made the final of the Australian board rescue title and the family, the surf life-saving family of mine that had been part of the journey for so long, they came from every different venue, every different area, the boat area, the sprint area, everything, they all came down. It was the last event on the Saturday, everyone else had finished and they all sat around to go, are you kidding? Trevor and his, it was like Neo's fighting Morpheus, you know, in <laughs> Matrix. It was like Trevor and his son are in the board rescue final, is that even possible? You know, I am I'm what 46 or something, and mm. TJ is 20, and all my mission was just to pick him up as fast as I could. And the funny thing was that where we were in the field, um, TJ got out in eighth spot out of the eight people, and uh, and then I just focused on him, and I must have got to the transition about third. I was just flying across the water, I was a little bit infused by a, a deeper sense of you know meaning. And uh, went to pick him up, got caught on the rope, you know, banged him in the head. We did the worst <laughs> change you've ever imagined. And he got on and he laughed and he said, well, that was the worst change in the history of the world. And we, he said, don't worry about that, Dad. Let's just go. And he, he paddled for the first run on the wave. There's two people laying on the board, paddled for the first run. And I went to say to him, the words formed in my mouth, turn right, like as if, you know, go that way, son. And he turned before I even formed the words in my mouth. And I went. Oh, hang on! Shut up! You've given him. You've set him up. You've taught him everything. Let him lead. So I just copied him the whole way to the beach. Everything he did, I copied. When he sped up, I sped up. When he's when he did longer strokes, I did longer strokes. When he sat his chest up, I sat his chest. We rode one run all the way from 8th to 7th to 6th to 5th to 4th to 3rd to 2nd and we won in a sprint up the beach in front of the whole surf life saving family. And he, he was crying, I was crying, everybody on the beach was crying. It was like this bizarre connection from the decision I'd made 20 years ago to be the type of man that I wanted to be to actually, to really be able to pick up my son and be proud. And, and uh, I get emotional when I say it, but I, I, I think that's... At this point in time, that's my greatest ever achievement is to turn my life around and be, be the man that I want to be.
1: Well, it's so beautiful that you've been able to share it with us in, in such great words. We're going to take our final break. I want to talk to you about TJ and what you might yep. say to him on the other side of the break. And we'll be back to wrap it up with Trevor Hendy on the other side of this break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Our final segment on what has been a fascinating edition of This Is Your Sporting Life with Trevor Hendy. Trev, when you were talking about that Ironman perfection and staring at that wall in front of you, I guess at that time, you probably didn't think about it at the time, but maybe you did in times after that, maybe you knew what Sir Edmund Hillary felt like. Because uh-huh. once he was at the top of Everest for the first time, he must have thought... I can't go any higher than this. Where do I go from here?
0: I talk about that a lot, Pete, actually, when I'm working with people is that I, I felt like I'd climbed a ladder that was placed in front of me by society and said, you climb that ladder. You know, I'd, I'd formulated that in my own mind, but it's inferred by the world. Climb that ladder and you'll be a success and you'll win. And the easiest way I can explain as is, is I climbed the ladder, you know, and I went up through the clouds. To, to investigate what was above the clouds i got to the top of the ladder i got you know my head came through the clouds and i realized i was at the top of the ladder and it didn't go any further than that and when i looked out across the clouds i could see another ladder that went further you know that's the way i often say it and it was like that ladder that went further was the, is the one about who we really are but the the need to win at all costs that's really not a deeper reflection of, of myself. Um, so it was interesting how I kind of had to climb back down the ladder and go, hang on a second, who are we really? You know, and, and go off on a bit of an exploratory journey about all those things. But there's a feeling that when you get to the top, if that's all your goal was, then it's not a big enough picture and you, you begin to feel empty and like, where do I go from here?
1: And you managed to coach a couple of world Ironman champions, so you no doubt got great satisfaction from that. Last point, Trev. You talked about TJ and the fact that he's forging a career as an Ironman. No doubt you will sit down, if you haven't already, and and talked about the technicalities of the sport. But away from the technicalities, Mm. what's the one piece of advice you would look in those brown eyes that you looked in all those years ago and give him about the ride that he is about to go on?
0: The, The one thing I always say to him is, you are amazing. You're, you're enough. You are more than enough. You are more than an Iron Man. There's more to you than that. And you can design your life any way you want. You know, don't be limited by the things you think are possible. You know, chase what it is that you really, really want deep down in your heart and redefine it. Do it differently to what everyone else has done it.
1: By its very nature, Trev, this show is one designed to talk to great sports people about their great achievements in sport. And we've been lucky to do that with you today. But as we've heard over the last hour, we've done a whole lot more than that. I have the privilege of sitting in this chair and speaking to sports people from all sorts of walks of life. I can't remember one that I've enjoyed more than this. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Peter. I thoroughly loved it, mate, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I look forward to our next chat. Really appreciate it.
1: You're a great champion in and out of the water. Trevor Hendy, thank you very much. And if you've enjoyed the chat, go to that website that Trevor was talking about, lifechanger.org.au. And uh, his words have been inspiring and I'm sure that that website will help to reinforce his message. It's been great to have Trevor Hendy as part of the program. Thank you for your company. We'll be back same time next week on 1116 SEN for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.